You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times. And today we're going to be talking with Eric Chabelle of Red Hat about Agile integration. So uh, I guess Agile integration roughly uh, is using open APIs and events, things like that, to achieve uh, agility, scalability, and true uh, cloud-native integration. Uh, but Eric, so uh, I understand these concepts. I just hadn't really heard um, the term agile integration before. So is that uh, kind of kind of a new term, or uh, maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about that? Sure. And uh, first of all, thanks for having me, David. Um, I, I think you should frame the agile integration idea or thought uh, in the sense of uh, a lot of enterprises are are moving there in the direction of of agile, uh, agile teams, agile ways of developing. Uh, all with an eye on the digital transformation story where they're headed towards uh, being able to deliver deliver stuff in a cloud-native fashion, uh, quickly, iteratively, uh, being very flexible with what their customers need. And when you place that in the integration space, you end up with uh, an agile integration, right? So applying those same, same ideologies and same methodologies in the direction of your integration uh, development plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we were speaking a little bit before the uh, before the podcast began, uh, and you were talking about it being a transition into uh, more of the uh, digital transformation. So, uh, how do you achieve that? Actually, yeah, if ever, anybody has that answer, you're you're golden, right? Um, right? <laughs> the the idea behind that being that the, the, there's a lot more involved than just taking your development going from monolithic applications or waterfall methodologies to something really agile and, and quickly being able to iterate over microservices, very small integration uh, components. Um, there's also quite a big org change involved uh, to deal with this stuff. And that's something that a lot of the customers that I end up talking to in my in my daily work uh, seem to stumble upon or, or bump into or run into as they progress down the road beyond their first integration project. Um, it's very easy to lay it all out and, and do that just one time. But once you start hitting the complexity of having to use things and repeatability over time, um, they're finding out that the, the organization needs to be set up a little bit different because you have your development organization divided up into smaller teams that own the life cycle, the complete life cycle from development to test to production and into the future of that small integration piece. And what you end up with is an awful lot of uh, sort of business to business uh, interactions within your organization, which is quite a shock for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Sure. Now, who has the overarching view of all of this, though? Well, let's hope that your architects uh, uh, and there are all different levels of architects inside of an organization. Um, but there is uh, somebody in charge of the overall plan and uh, designing uh, uh, with an idea behind doing things in small reusable pieces is part of that overarching plan. So each each project, as you dive in, you'll be examining uh, what pieces are available and what is not, and how you're going to define those and how small and reusable you want those. You also do generally start bumping into the same stories we used to years ago with the SOA platforms, where you talk about service granularity. So there's, there's some discussion around how small your microservices need to be, uh, mm-hmm. even though microservice as a word tends to be you know, really, really small, but it always doesn't have to be. Right. So, yeah, that's certainly part of today's software architectures, all this complexity where you have the microservices, you have uh, containers, Kubernetes, a service mesh, maybe uh, APIs, all of this. So where, how do organizations go about kind of connecting 
all of those dots under this agile integration kind of uh, notion uh, as opposed to what they're doing today? Well, it, it tends to be a general transition. Um, it's very hard to assume, or you're very lucky if you're going to do this greenfield where you have nothing in place already. Yeah, good um, luck with many, that. Many, many, many organizations has, of course, uh, a lot of legacy applications, uh, systems, uh, maybe third-party stuff that they don't have a lot of control over. Um, just putting an API in between all those does not make you, uh, you know, agile integrating everything, uh, so to speak. Um, this involves a, a, a gradual progression, uh, including the org changes I discussed a, a little bit ago. And, um, you know, it's a step-by-step -step plan most of the time. And uh, one of the things, for example, uh, is, is imagine having a couple of monolithic applications. Uh, you haven't delivered anything on containers yet. Uh, you're not doing anything with Kubernetes. Uh, how are you going to go about that? And so you might want to sit down and take one of these applications as a test bed install some kind of container platform so that you have a Kubernetes delivery uh, uh, available to you, and then stuff this monolithic application into a container and see what happens. And often that doesn't go well because they're not designed for the scalability that you know container platforms do provide or Kubernetes platforms provide. Um, but they do uh, give you a, a, a sort of a test run at carving off pieces of this monolithic application and going step by step. This is probably the most advisable route to go, um, unless you have the luxury where you can kick back and, and absolutely tear something apart and, and, and build it from the ground up, where you're then going to learn from what you did in the past and right. uh, split everything into your into your smaller uh, integration pieces. Mm -hmm. And of course, the point of all this, I guess, is because with things changing as much as they do in software and as often as they do in software, you you want to have the flexibility and the agility to uh, quickly incorporate those changes into a larger application. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, imagine what happens in the future if uh, all of a sudden we're not running on containers, we're running on something else. <laughs> it would be nice if you have these service pieces as, you know, the code that they are can, can be put somewhere else. Right. You know, what, 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 what we're mostly looking at, and one of the, the key things involved here has a lot to do with what you see in the open source world, where you have a lot of open standards around this stuff. So as an architect, it behooves you to spend a little bit of energy and, and everybody wants to do that pretty much. So you, you're, you're looking at your architecture and trying to make open standards a core aspect of what you're designing. So you can swap these things out should it be necessary in the future. Uh, best technology uh, in, in the best spot, right? That's the idea. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is, is uh, moving forward in the future, um, you're going to have a, a little bit of an, an issue around uh, what do we do with the long-term life cycles with these things? And, and what about all these hybrid multi-cloud kind of stories you start hearing where we're scaling our business out from the local data centers and, and local private clouds that we're, we're setting up? That's the whole idea behind the Kubernetes platforms is that you can then scale out and, and run your workloads you know, where they need to be certified, where they run best, where they're local to whatever customer needs you have, maybe data issues require you to run something somewhere. Yeah. Um, with your integration pieces uh, moving around the globe like this, it's very, very important to have a, a container platform based on Kubernetes that's uh, and, and the applications and the microservices and the integration pieces you're writing all be as isolated as possible inside their individual containers where they're running. So should you so choose to, to uh, move from one cloud platform to another, you're not tied in. And uh, it's, it's yeah. really something to look at closely because there's a lot of vendor pieces in the cloud that uh, are, are just good old fashioned lock-in. Yeah, no, that's for sure. 
Now, but one thing that uh, I had a discussion with somebody recently and they were saying that, uh, you know, not all Kubernetes is the same. Uh, you know, you use uh, AWS uh, Kubernetes or Azure Kubernetes and, and they have their own little uh, differences and flavors and things. So uh, in going to this more agile approach, does that kind of take those things into effect? And, and you were talking about using standards, you know, it, will we get to a point where there are in fact standards for all of these different types of connectivity? I would really hope so. Uh, the open source communities constantly work towards uh, these kind of standards. Uh, just look at containers. It started with an individual company putting them out there. Uh, three or four other companies decided it's, this is such a, a, a good idea. Uh, the community stepped up uh, more so than the companies and generated uh, uh, the committees around uh, creating one of these standards. And you have the open container initiative and uh, everybody jumps on board because everybody understands this is this is easier to write your engine against the specifications. So you can run your containers on a platform that's standards based right. uh, that allows you to put an abstract layer across these clouds. And uh, with with a little bit of hope, everybody's going to play that way. And right. that's definitely the platforms I would be looking at to, to stay away from the, the, the tie ins into these Kubernetes platforms where they you know, have special features that are not available anywhere else. Right. Yeah. You know, it makes me think going back to the days of Java where they talked about, uh, you know, write once, run anywhere. And they talked about, uh, uh, you know, cooperate on standards and compete on implementation, uh, you know, was another big mantra. So, uh, you know, we certainly would hope today, I guess, that that organizations will, in fact, do that and work towards these common standards that will just make it easier for everyone to interact with everyone else. There might be some nefarious companies that don't necessarily want that because they prefer the lock-in, but uh, that would be at their own peril, I guess. I think it's a fantastic example if you look at the Java, what happened uh, not so long ago where, you know, Oracle, the owner of that, decided to stop supporting all that stuff. And right. you see that there's been an issue in the in the community for years around what might or could possibly happen around all the standards that are being written around Java. Right. And uh, OpenJDK uh, was the project that was uh, kickstarted to try to implement against the Java specification and provide an open alternative to all these different vendor specific uh, uh, Java uh, compilers. Right, right. Yeah, interesting stuff. So I don't know, could you uh, maybe perhaps uh, give our listeners a little taste of um, how you can tell them or help them kind of get moved towards connecting all of these dots uh, between these different uh, uh, pieces and, and make things truly, truly uh, open and connected? I think uh, uh, the the best way to get started is is you know of course to to research and to and to read quite a bit about what's going on. Uh, it's not very hard to to look around on the internet and find uh, the various developer sites uh, such as yours uh, that do do push a lot of information around uh, integration and and what what is available and and what's going on. Uh, the key there is to to look for some of the stuff around. Uh, the tips, the 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 pitfalls that you can run into. I spend a lot of time myself writing about uh, and publishing on pitfalls and, and demystifying uh, various aspects of what you hear in the market around agile integration or integration in general, mm -hmm. uh, as it applies to cloud native development, microservices, uh, hybrid cloud. It comes from my background and from what you see when you go to customers where everybody's struggling after that initial step. And it's it's not hard to find books on how to be agile. It's not hard to find information on how to do microservices in whatever language you happen to be uh, working in. It is not hard to find 
you know, platforms to put your containers on, or it's, it's, it is hard to, to run your own Kubernetes platform, but Hey, you know, some people are doing that too. See that quite a bit. Right. Um, there's, there's no special, you know, fix all on this stuff because a lot of stuff is moving. There's a lot of different parts and it depends upon what you're focusing on within the level of your organization that you're trying to integrate. For right. example, um, we talked a little bit at the beginning, you mentioned uh, event-driven architectures where you see integration and cloud-native development pulling uh, uh, the data storage and the data, the, you know, the, the one source of truth from the databases way down low in your architecture up into the application space as a result of dealing with cloud uh, uh, pricing and, and what it costs to move data around in the various public clouds. Um, it's a completely wonderful uh, integration architecture to, to solve some of those problems around that for people that need to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So as you had said also that uh, very few organizations are starting with a green field. So um, we hear from, from experts who say, you know, take a piece of your legacy system, uh, your monolithic uh, application, break it down into smaller pieces and, and start from there. Uh, I guess that would be the same advice for people who are looking to do this type of integration. Um, there's th that's one way to go about it. Um, there's another way to uh, th that I see quite a bit where people say, OK, what's existing is in place. Let's leave that there. Um, mm. You have certain maintenance cycles within an organization where you could revisit those in time and attack them in that that form um, and spend the money, the time, the resources as allowed in your normal maintenance cycle on your legacy stuff uh, to, to migrate it towards the new platforms and then uh, concentrate heavily on your new development being all in the form of what you want to do, cloud native, you know, agile integration, microservices, all that kind of thing. Um, you see, yeah, I can't say that any one is favored because every organization is a little different and you know every budget's a little different. Uh, you have to be flexible in this kind of stuff and explore what works for you. You know, Ideally, you'd love to tear everything apart and start over. Who doesn't? You know? right. We're all tinkerers. Exactly, that's a, that's a great point. All right, so you are a portfolio architect director at Red Hat, so what does that role involve? So, um, I've been at Red Hat about 11 years now, a little bit more than 11 years, and I spent some time first as a solution architect, uh, and then I worked in our various business units where the products are developed, uh, providing uh, content and information out towards our solution architects, so at the, the sales technical level, so to speak. Uh, yeah. A lot of demos, a lot of uh, integrating products, a lot of, uh, you know, that kind of, kind of activity. Um, this rolled over time between the various aspects of our platform or in our organization, our cloud organization, and our, our middleware and, and, and application organization. So I have a pretty broad background across everything we do in our portfolio with our products. Um, this involves the whole process from open source, uh, upstream communities, how the product is built and how it's used and how it's executed with by customers. So the portfolio architecture team that I'm in now, we take time to uh, talk with a lot of customers assist where we can, but it's very interesting to look at successful implementations that involve multiple products. So a complete solution is not just, you know, running a, a container platform or not just running Java application somewhere. It involves uh, uh, something along the lines, for example, like an agile integration uh, where I've, I have in the past zoomed in and uh, created architectural blueprints around multiple successful implementations, uh, focusing on integrating with SaaS applications externally from your organization. Uh, or internally that you set up an application as a SaaS offering internally. Um, also looked at Omnichannel, which is uh, focusing on all the customer channels and creating the ability to, to quickly and, and, and cleanly be able to, to 
to, to adjust to what your customers and what your domains are needing in the, in the market as you move ahead. Something that's really interesting for some of the bigger, slower moving legacy organizations that are you know, being disrupted by these small agile startups. Very interesting. All right, well, uh, Eric, thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Agile integration, certainly an interesting topic. I hope our listeners will uh, uh, you know, take a look at it and see if it can help them uh, you know, achieve that that true flexibility and agility that they need when they're switching uh, containers or switching applications out or even switching platforms they run on. Again, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, David. Appreciate it that you let me uh, join you. Thank you. All right, this has been What the Dev on SD Times. So long now.